0: Welcome to the Something Admired podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Haber, and I look forward to opening the space to share inspiring conversations with those I admire. Join me weekly as we dive into inspiring leaders, teachers, and thinkers that have a story to tell. With a desire to connect, and more importantly, a craving to learn, this podcast was born. If there's one thing I'm certain about, it is that the world needs more stories being shared and admirable moments that embed in our memories. And with great pleasure, let us begin together. Welcome back to this week's Something Admired episode. I am so excited to get into today's conversation, and I will tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Um, I want to give you just a little bit of an update. We have some exciting things for this week's Something Admired. One is a podcast sponsorship, which I am so grateful for and excited to introduce you to personally, so you will hear that next, and I also wanted to mention that there will be a few little extra notes and discount codes that you can check in today's show notes. So do check that out. And what else on the horizon for me? This Sunday, we are heading over to Europe. We'll be landing in Paris and then heading up to Brittany, which we will be the month of August, so I will be really excited to just dive into European summer and experiencing that, having some family time, some cooking and recipes and all the things. So we're currently in that little portal of packing and getting ready and just tying up some loose ends here before we head off. So today... I am speaking with my dear friend, Erin Lovell-Varinder, Verinder, is an herbalist, nutritionist, energetic healer, author, and mentor. Erin is someone who is in tune with the rhythm of the seasons and harnesses the magical properties of plants to awaken our body's natural healing capabilities. Today, we meander through the many paths Erin walks between community and the natural world, the creation of her two books, Plants for the People and The Plant Clinic, as well as how to nourish our bodies in new ways amongst the expansion of the outside world. There is a whole wealth of knowledge that comes from today's episode. So do write some things down, and you can also contact Erin directly through her social media, her website, and those will be linked below. So we will get into today's episode, and thanks for listening. Every single review, every single email I receive or direct message is so appreciated, And that's how this gets into your ears and your arms. So here's today's episode and thanks again for listening. so excited to announce our first Something Admired sponsor. Please welcome Organic India. In the 1990s, Organic India's founder began their journey of nourishing a deeper relationship with India. They soon witnessed the widespread devastation caused by the attempts to industrialize India's agriculture. While simultaneously submersed in the modernization of sacred lands, they came across the holy basil, also known as Tulsi, and its healing properties. The vision of truly bringing the plants to the people started to manifest through a deep wish to bring these health-supporting herbs to the world by partnering with farmers to recover traditional agricultural wisdom, regenerate widespread areas, and establish a new business model based on responsible economic, social, and environmental principles, and fair trade-based farmer partnerships. Over the years of working with Ayurvedic and Western physicians, they learned of herbs and formulas that support a healthy response to environmental and physical stress. Today, the result of that vision has been the economic and cultural revitalization of rural farm countries with 3,000 farm partnerships, as well as community health care, education, and inclusive social change for women. They are unwaveringly committed to elevating environmental stewardship beyond sustainable, incorporating bioregenerative farming practices, that improve the environment with every crop cycle. Organic India is proudly B Corp certified, meaning the company meets the highest standards of social and environmental performance, public transparency, and accountability to balance profit and purpose. I am so grateful to stand with and behind a business that is rooted in this integrity and truly passionate about supporting culture, agriculture, ancient herbs, and communities. For years now, I've been using their products, and firstly, the Tulsi Sweet Rose Tea, which is one of my favorites, specifically for the soothing And calming benefits of rose and chamomile, two of my favorite herbs, hands down. And the adaptogenic tulsi, which supports a healthy nervous system and stress response. In the summers, which we are currently living, I will make an iced tea version. And this in the winters, I love it just as a hot tea next to the fire. It's cozy and so sweet and delicious. Um, Another product that I swear by of theirs, I travel with it, I use it daily, is their psyllium husk, which you can buy in capsule form or you can buy in the loose form, which helps with balancing hormones, removing excess toxins from the liver, and helps improve overall digestion. They have an array of amazing herbs and teas and powders, supplements, Everything is organic, sustainably brought to you. And that is something I am actively seeking whenever I'm purchasing specifically a tea or a supplement. They were so generous to offer 20% off any purchase if you use the code SOMETHING ADMIRED. That is all caps, SOMETHING ADMIRED at checkout. And again, I'm so grateful to have Organic India in my life personally and here on the podcast to share this with my community. So enjoy and I can't wait to hear where these plants take you on your journeys. good to speak with you and see your face we were just catching up before this and we are on different corners of the earth but it's really lovely to sit down and have this next hour or so
1: together so happy to be here with you so sweet
0: yay and one question that I love to start with is what is something you're currently admiring
1: oh Immediately, my mind just, I mean, visually, I'm looking out the window, go straight to nature. We, we've just moved to this new beautiful place. And it's like every window, every corner, every little sort of trickle of new light that I'm noticing, you know, it's just so beautiful. So yeah, nature, lots of nature, lots of green, win- deep winter over here. And it's just spectacular. So special.
0: Mm. I second that. And I feel like just looking at personally, I know you personally, but just looking at your stories on social media and seeing the life that you're creating and the little snippets, like I live by your lately, like whenever you share your little slides <laughs> of what's in, what's been inspiring you is, is so inspiring. And I want to touch on, I had this question written down, but your new home and the cedar church and i just love the story of how you got to where you are and and that you've come from a church like i just think it's so beautiful so maybe walk (laughs) us through that journey a little bit
1: yeah well i mean it's been super serendipitous it's like i'm still processing and catching up to this massive change I can't kind of believe that we manifested this. You know, I'm really like, wow, you know, this is um, all sorts of magic to get us to this place. So I used to live in a beautiful church that you visited many times um, up north where where we both lived. And it was such a spectacular building. And that came to us, we were renting that house. It came to us through friends who'd lived there. And I'd always thought, wow, like how magical it would be to live in a converted church. I'm not religious, but, you know, just there's such peace and prayer and serenity in the bones of a church. And I just find the building so interesting. And I kind of love the idea of living in a home that's not a classic home. I've always like loved a a converted something, you know. And so we ended up living in this church for years up north and just had the most beautiful experience. It was such a like evocative peaceful place to live and I created both my books in that church and wrote them and it was really just this yeah incredibly like I felt very nurtured and held in that space we had an incredible garden we made over the churchyard garden it was just this really beautiful unfolding of living there over the years and then gosh I mean there's been a lot that's happened to get us here um we're in Tasmania now but When we left the church, we left the church. It was hard to leave the first church. And it was like, okay, we're going to leave because we're going to move back to the States. And that was a big decision, a big decision we've been pondering a long time to go back to the States where my husband's from. And we were like, we're going to leave. This is really intentional. This is really hard. It was heartbreaking to leave our garden, heartbreaking to leave the Northern community. Made the big move. Went to Sydney waiting for my visa. Omicron hits. I'm going to go through this really quickly. The timeline gets blown out. Somehow we feel so called to go back up north and we miss our community. We miss everything. We go back up north. We're driving past the church. Our hearts are breaking because it's no longer house. You know, we're living in this gorgeous little barn, but we're just like, it hurts. It aches to go past that church and the floods hit like two weeks later and we're all in the thick of this natural disaster. It was devastating. I mean, to say the least, I know I'm I'm fast-forwarding through this like really major thing, but, you know, we were all hit really hard in the community and people are still in deep recovery mode five months later. So So we're in this little barn and it was just such a displacing experience of what I had felt in the region and living up there and how I'd felt to then what was happening and the reflection of how we were living in this like really temporary place. We felt really clear, wow, we've been called back to like help and be with our community through this time. And as challenging as that was, because it really wasn't meeting our needs in many ways, we were kind of there to, you know, give. And um I started, you know, community herbal care, like this free uh roaming community herbal outreach program, which has been really profound and incredible. I've learned so much. And The community came together, all the herbalists and the naturopaths to give free care to flood affected and flood impacted um, people. So that was major. But once we got past the acute point, we realised like this is we can't do this. This is not this is not good for us. This in between we can't do this. Our nervous systems feel fried. We need home. And we realized we can't go to the States because one of our dogs has a heart issue and they're just like our fur babes. And we were like, what's our plan B? The timeline for the States changes, let it go. Plan B sitting with it. Tasmania had always been somewhere we wanted to really adventure and feel into. And everyone was always like, you guys are going to love Tasmania. We've been looking for a while, just like had our eye on Tassie for a few years. And it was just the strangest thing. A friend sent us this church. The link, the real estate link, and she goes, This place just reminds me so much of you guys. And we felt such a strong call and pull. Noah gets on a plane, comes right down. I've got the flu. So I had to trust him, which is so major. I didn't see this house before I moved in, right? Before we bought the house, which seems so whack and wild now. But I just trusted. He came down, he saw it. He was like, It's legit the most magical place ever. And we bought this house and nothing. There was nothing in the way, honey. Like it was just total flow. And up north, we had been met with so much resistance for months. It was like, since we decided to leave the church, Mm. the first one, resistance, nothing flowed. It was so hard. It was like that feeling of like walking through mud, like literally, right? Mm. Like just that feeling of thick, heavy energy and nothing was flowing. And as soon as we decided to buy this place, it was like boom, 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 everything flowed. And, um, we ended up down here like a matter of weeks later and it was just just been the most trippy experience. Like we're here in this new little church house. Um, I know the first church was the gateway to this church. You know, that experience was like, you know, giving us an idea of a place that could be ours. And we're on acreage here and it's, that's what we've been seeking. Like we've been seeking this deep, quiet, immersive experience on land and we've somehow bought in the most magical place with like snow-capped mountains and rolling hills and creamy grasses and just so much peace and space. It's wild. So we're, I'm still catching up with like what we've chosen in a way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that was a long story, but that's sort of, sort of how we've gotten here. Yeah.
0: I love hearing that story because I remember seeing you at high life and running into you and you waiting for this phone call because you were in escrow or there was, you know, you were waiting for the call that you, you know, that the house was yours. And I remember you're like, we're buying, we're buying property. And I was like, oh my God, from like the week before to that next week, it was this magical, (laughs) like manifestation that really came to fruition for you. And I love that story because so much of the time especially those who are tuning in from the northern rivers area or even if they're feeling like they're stuck in the muck and really like literally Mm -hmm. you know wanting some sort of migration or some manifestation to come to fruition like that is so possible and like you know i feel like yes you guys were dreaming of that but also like that was not your essential you know quotation plan but there was yes. another plan for you guys that unfolded. Um, and it was like, you just, you hit the Holy grail. <laughs> you know, I love that you kind of Truly. mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the first church so was the entry to the second church.
1: Um, yes. Yeah. And what was funny about that too, was that we were looking, the areas that we were looking in the States, cause we wanted to go over and buy and We were looking kind of upstate New York and Maine and Vermont and like really in that kind of East um, and which is very similar climate to here. And we were looking at mm. like old churches and we've been looking at old like calls and like old farmhouses and these old places with so much character. And we've been sort of talking about like, we're probably going to move up there. We don't have much community out there. A lot of our communities in California over there. Um, but, you know, we're going to move up there and we're going to like homestead and we're going to be on the land. And like, it's like, and we're actually going to do that in Tasmania. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. redirect. And it's going to be all those things in Tasmania for now. Wow. So fascinating. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm so happy for both of you. And I cannot wait to come visit. Tasmania is on my bucket list. and. Adventure list of many things.
1: Yes, mm. it's so special here. I mean, already just getting such a deep sense of it in these few months, having just landed here, just feeling because we're we're being very quiet. We're really like immersing ourselves in in our home and and the space around it, and just this space and the drive. You know, from town to the house is like the most stunning drive. Like I, I every time I do it, I can't, I kind of can't believe that this is this is now my new home that I Mm -hmm. that I get to give give back to and enjoy and it's just so stunning honey it's really wild and um wild as in the nature feels really wild there's so much wildlife there's so much like wild untouched beauty here and although living in the northern rivers it is so stunning and there is so much beauty there and of course there's wildness there there's such a different type of energy there's a real buzzy happening energy up there here it feels like deep stillness Mm. and I can feel how good that is for me in this chapter, mm. and even though I'm fighting it a little, honestly, I'm fighting mm. it a little because it's confronting, mm. I can feel that I'm going to lean in. I'm leaning in. <laughs> I'm doing my best. It's going mm. to be really good medicine for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that you have that awareness because even as an herbalist and and those listening to this conversation, I usually start with an, an introduction on who I'm speaking with. And I love to hear from their voice of you know who the person is and what you're passionate about. But you as an herbalist and many things, an alchemist and author and teacher and Woman and creator and all the things. I find that to be such a beautiful time of introspection and the ability to know when you can rest and find and relish in that solitude and also the time of when you're harvesting and when you're you know creating and and out into the world and and like knowing you, I know you as an Aries and just, you know, that powerhouse that you truly are to actually be able to, you know, pause and be in that season and in that life is really essential for you and I'm so curious like what walked you to the world of herbalism um and you know was there always this sort of wildness within you or was this it was it sort of a meeting ground of like your inner wildness and then the outer wilderness meeting or you know what was that experience like for you
1: well I think it's be like I think it continues to evolve honestly but initially um, I just had always a really deep kinship with nature and always felt most at home in nature and even though I grew up in like suburban Sydney in the sort of 80s as a, as a little one even where I lived there was like a beautiful wild kind of park and there was a reserve up the road and all of us kids would be running through barefoot until the streetlights came on. You know, it was, it was kind of always about being in nature and getting a bit grubby and, you know, being at the park. And I just loved nature. And I think that as the years unfolded, it became clear to me that my sense of my deepest sense of belonging was when I was in nature in some way. And when I started to understand that herbalism was a thing um, I got little like snippets of it kind of as like a young person and as a teenager and and then I realized like you could actually go and study herbalism in a kind of really structured sense like go and get a a qualification learn in a college here in Australia I just felt so drawn to it I always just felt so drawn to it I mean I started really working in the field when I was I started studying when I was about 16 in a kind of classical sense I did reiki and I was really always drawn to like really esoteric healing and so it was like Reiki. And then I went and did a two-year energetic healing diploma when I got out of uh, school. And, you know, I did two years deep, deep, like really out there, like, you know, essences and like vibrational, you know, medicines, um, colour therapy, chakra therapy, meridians, sound therapy, creative expressionist, healing, like just all these other healing modalities. And it's just like, the course is wild. It was like a two-year download of just, all of these different modalities and coming out of that I realized like I needed to like live a lot more before I could hold space for people in that sense I was you know I was only 20 so it I I went and sort of traveled a bit and went to the states and met Noah and you know and then I came back to Australia and I was like wow like I really really feel that I need to understand the body better I really felt that deep sense of like It's so beautiful to understand the spirit and understand the energetic elements that could be affecting our bodies, but we have this, you know, precious body and how do we actually take care of our body in a really physical sense? And that kind of brought me back to herbalism and naturopathy. And that's really the path that I took. Having always felt the call and kinship from nature, I realized, oh, yeah, like, of course, nature holds all the remedies, you know, and I wanted to know more about the remedies. And that also brought me to nutritional medicine to understand food as medicine more. So I, be, I became a nutritionist and yeah, it was just, it's kind of like, I think the call started really young and it kept evolving. And it, it honestly, honey, I've been, you know, I've been practicing for many years as a herbalist and it still evolves. Like I mentioned in the beginning of this, it's like, it still evolves for me of what it means to me to be a herbalist.
0: Mm, I love that. And I feel like just from knowing you and, you know, your two books, Plants for the People and The Plant Clinic, those two babies are so rich with wisdom and knowledge and also like curated in a way that brings in all those different elements of the esoteric, of the nutritionist, you know, of the herbalism and all these different modalities, which I love. And you put together so beautifully. And I'm so curious, like, I love how you birthed both of those projects within the church and they both came to be. And I want you to kind of speak on how they kind of came to be and maybe the journey with each of them, because I think it's beautiful. And I feel like it like just kind of like one bam, bam came one after the other. And it was such a, you know, I was so excited to see, oh my God, she has a second book and maybe introduce us to both of them and touch a little bit on what the journey was
1: like for you. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think I held, I've held all the books and I'm actually working on, I'm starting a third book now as well. So all the books have been like sitting within me for a long time you know and I think they um they sit within you for a long time I think that's my experience of talking to other people who've done books as well and like many of my friends I've got like an uncanny amount of friends who've done books and they all sort of same say the same thing of it's a quiet kind of pulse an idea or spark that's been there for a long time and a bruise and a bruise. and I I always wanted to you know I always loved writing you know even as as a as a kid like english was one of my favorite subjects and creative writing and I always loved writing i think it's a beautiful medium to express and i also love books and i just love the permanence of books and you know i love the 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 sense of um, knowledge shared and it's our house is noah's a keen reader it's always just been full of books and so for me it was it seems like obvious to want to write like a, and you know i think it sat within me for years and I, I, it was that thing of like, and I, when I tell this story, I always mentioned this that a lot of other people around me were getting book deals. Cause like I mentioned, lots of friends have booked, they've done books. And every time someone would get a book deal, it was like this little, like, ouch, like it hurt. Oh, why aren't I doing that? And it was just about timing. Like everything is. And, um, I went through this really intense period of burnout Years ago, when I was living up in the Blue Mountains, high on the mountains, another beautiful chapter of our lives in nature, um, in this little mountain cottage, I just pushed myself really hard. I was going through a lot personally, and my clinic was just so big, like owned a clinic, running a clinic in Sydney, and I pushed myself so hard, I got really ill. I went through really extreme burnout, and all I could do was lay in bed and just rest, lay in the hammock and rest. I had to take months off and just really work deeply on recovery and reestablishing my center and taking all the herbs and eating all the good foods. and But it just took time, it took time to rest. And in the time to rest, it became really clear to me that I needed to start working differently. And I needed to funnel my, my the way I wanna teach and the way I wanna show up in the world in a different way. And that's when Plants for the People was really born. It was born out of that. It's time to shift, Erin, and um, getting that really deep download. Which for me, being a double is like sometimes I have to be put so in my place, like, and often it's physical stuff, which sucks because you know getting ill is the pits. And but often, like, I'll hurt my back really badly, or hold like I ha- I get really like, you need to lay down now, Erin, and you need to rest for a week, or you need. So it's 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 often in those times where I really just surrendered to deep rest that like the biggest shifts come through to me, which I totally just heard what I said. So, um, you know, I get it. I get it. Um, yeah. So I, I was walking down the street like maybe a year before that and the name plants for the people just came to me and I was like, that's a really good name. I'm just going to put that in the back of my head, put it in my notes on my phone. And so when I was sat down to kind of think about what I wanted my first book to be, that name was the name was actually the thing that was the doorway to the book. And I knew that I wanted to write a book that was about remembrance, about reigniting passion for people who maybe have forgotten the the, the power of plants. And, you know, in these last generations, particularly the last generation, say from my mother's generation. From between, sorry, my, my grandmother to my mother, there's been a real sort of loss of that like everyday knowledge of herbalism. And so our generation has really been the, felt the brunt of that, felt the absence of that connection, communion and understanding of past our knowledge. So the book was the the intention was to like remember and bring that all to the forefront again with like 40 beautiful kind of common plants in many areas of the world, particularly, you know, Europe, North America and many that grew here in Australia and just telling the stories of the plants again and telling like sharing with people, like how do you make a tea? How do you make, what's the difference between an infusion or a decoction? How do you make a syrup? It was just very simple. But, you know, and I know you know me, like I, I am a total pursuer of beauty visually and I you know I, I I've i got a Libran rising and I think I blame it on that a little bit but it's like this you know this everything has to be really like perfect and balanced and you know visual and um like it felt I you know I'm a feeler through visual beauty and na- there's nothing more beautiful than nature you know there's just simply nothing more beautiful than nature and the book was really Driven by intending to capture the beauty of nature. And Georgia Blackie, who's a dear friend of mine, she captured it so beautifully all the plants. And you get to like learn the look of the plant and then the story of the plant. And so that was Plants for the People. It was a, it was a, so I birthed the idea there, got a whole lot better, got the download to change my whole life, move up north, which I see that this is another one of those chapters. (laughs) You know, I've done it again um, in this different way. Yeah. And um, made this really quick shift, moved up north, moved into the arms of the first church house, and wrote Plants for the People really quickly, actually, just like poured out of me, honey. It was like, boom, it was there. It was just the timing. It needed to just click in. And we shot a lot of it in the States. We went on this beautiful, like, plant pilgrimage, and we went and met herbalists and, and growers. And it was just such a cool thing to do. It was so fun. And just, the spirit of herbalism was so like infused in that book, like in a really tangible way, which I feel people always reflect back to me, which is such a beautiful thing. Um, And then I'm just thinking that came out in the eye of the pandemic. So the pandemic hit and I was like, oh my God, like releasing a book in the pandemic. Like, what does that even look like? Luckily I got a few events in, you know, before that came out and I got to share in community and you know down to different cities and whatnot but it was actually perfect timing like we were all you know it was March 2020 and we were all at a loss you know we were all like we well very soon after that we were stuck inside we were having to look at our homes having to look at our gardens having to look what's in our cupboards to nourish us and Actually, it was perfect. It was the most perfect time for Plants With People to be born. And um, really quickly, once Plants with the People went to print, I pitched the plant clinic. And that I knew that that was the sec- I knew it was like the, the sort of sister, the grown-up sister to Plants With People. And I got to say a lot of things I didn't get to say in the first book. Um, the plant clinic is like this really chunky book that, takes you through the body and body systems in different ways so there's like a vitality section there's a emotion mind spirit there's a detox section there's a gut section hair skin mums and bugs and in each of those sections there's these kind of daily plant protocols that take you through let's say you've got like a cold how would you work and work on and support with the plants a cold and it takes you through like morning to night and that was really awesome for me because I got to use all of my clinical experience that I like help people you know with in clinic and take them through a day and the book is essentially a recipe book like there's I think there's like 150 recipes there's a lot of recipes in the plant clinic and you know like how do you make this cream how do you make this tea it's like all of my favorite things like the eczema cream that I use all of the time for clients like I got to share that with everybody you know and and it's such a profound cream and it's just that kind of stuff and it's just it's a beautiful it's visually really pretty you know it's um it's like a real how-to you know plant the plant the plant sorry plants of people you learn the plants again in a deeper way and the plant clinic helps you sort of take it to the next level of applying it to your body for sort of healing and to also give back to community by learning those skills again that's a long story but that's how they both came to be um Yeah, and no, my husband designed the second book, which was really beautiful. It was really collaborative, and it really is us in a book. And Georgia shot it again, and um, yeah, it was just a really—it was hard book to write. I have to, yeah, that was tough. It was also like in that we released again in the pandemic, so two books in the pandemic, and it was a tough book to write. There were so many moving parts to that book, but we got there. Which is, we got there, and I'm really proud of it.
0: Hmm. Well, I was so excited to receive the plant. Cl- I got the plant clinic book, yeah, in lockdown. I think it was like in the first sort of phase of everything. And it was such a beautiful book to flip through and really relate to, you know, oh, okay, this is happening. And I feel like I had a friend who was going through something, and every time. You know, I have my little library at home and every time there's, you know, someone has something that arises, I'll, I'll use your books as a little ID. And it feels, it feels so good to, you know, go to a specific book or a specific herb and find exactly what is needed in that moment. And I love that you mentioned community in that aspect as well. And like that, your job is never finished. It's always evolving. And with that, it, you know, it always inspires me. What's, what's, a, you know, what's next for you and what's around the corner, because you are just such an inspiring person in the sense of like what you do create and what you do put out there and, and where you do put your service as an herbalist. And I want you to touch on the community herbal care that you put together in the Northern Rivers and maybe walk us through, you know, how that came to be and what that is on the other side of it and is continually, continuously evolving as I'm witnessing from afar. But yeah, maybe speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's been a, it's been so huge for me this year. It's again, this, it's an interesting thing. It's like these little parts that brew quietly away in me, how they sort of come to light. I have always been pretty like at odds at war a little around the accessibility of herbalism and naturopathy in Australia in particular, because it, you know, it really is a, um, it, it's a service that mostly only affluent people or people you know with those kind of means can reach because the, and that comes from you sort of the roots of it up as in we have to train for so many years our training is so expensive um therefore the service is expensive the you know the accessibility of medicines and how much medicines cost and so there's a, it's a there's a lot to that right but for me, I think I was always, there's a part of me that's always really felt like this should be accessible to everyone whenever they need, <laughs> you know, and um, that's a, that's a huge part of like why I wrote the books as well. Cause it's like, I could teach and educate in this way where, you know, maybe you can't work with someone for hundreds of dollars for the appointment and, you know, spend all the money on the medicines, but you can buy a $40 book and self-learn a lot. Right. So that was like a part of me doing the books as well. It's like a little bit of a like pushback into like making this information as accessible as possible. Yeah. So there's this part of me that's always been like, you know, plant medicine be accessible. Then the floods hit. And like the second night when we're all texting each other frantically, right. You know, remember when we, you know, we got phone service and we're all like, are you okay? Is your property okay? Do you need anything? Everyone was just so traumatized. Everyone was so stressed. Everyone was so anxious. And it just dawned on me really, really strongly. Like I woke up in the morning on that second day and I was like, we need to start a free plant medicine, you know, a free medicinal clinic, a free naturopathic clinic. And I knew that because I could feel that it was important, of course, for everyone's needs to be met initially, like food and water and shelter and safety. But I could sense that very soon after those needs were starting to be met, there was just gonna be this massive fallout cause I could just feel everyone was so stressed, anxious, fried, traumatized. And um, <laughs> I remember waking up in the morning and being like, Noah, I've got an idea. And he was like, oh God, you know what is this gonna be? Cause often like, you know, my ideas start like that. Um, like these big things start like, I've just got this little idea that I wanna execute. And then it turns into this like whole thing, right? Um, But I put it out on Instagram and I was like, you know, I'm starting this community. I just put it out on Instagram. I didn't really think about it. I was like, we need donations. We need help. Like I contacted one of my dear friends, Sarah Mann, who's a local herbalist as well. And I was like, what do you think? I contacted like all the other naturopaths that I knew in the region. And I was like, let's do this. Everyone was on board. And look, I make it sound simple, but it wasn't. It was obviously like a million parts came together in like 16 hour days and just, endless efforts but it did just come together like with all of those efforts it was actually incredible how many people donated how many people sent bottles of remedies from their dispensaries how many people supplement companies you know and kind of wellness companies sent up boxes and boxes of stuff people drove up trucks when they could like it was it was incredible like all of these forces just kind of came together to make this happen with yes me like madly sort of driving the vision and at the helm but it was it was many other people that made this happen and I'm so grateful for that and within a week we rolled out what like once the waters went down and we were able we rolled out the clinics and I remember the first one we went to a little um donated space in in a yoga space in Mullum because Bimbi was you hit hard you know and the surrounding areas of Wilson's Creek and Upper Wilson's I mean at that point people couldn't get down from Upper Wilson's still but there were some people from the basin and Mullen that were coming to the clinics and it was just people were coming in and bless the woman that donated the space like it had just been gurneyed and cleaned and it was it was just drying out it wasn't wet in there but it, it had been flooded and she donated this space and we made it beautiful and we put the rugs back in and her rugs had been you know cleaned and so that space had been underwater, but we were all in there. We set up this little, you know, table of remedies and chairs and we've got some bottled water and it's just really bare bones and people all come in and and there were so many tears. I mean, people were just crying because it was the first clean space and safe form space that they'd been in, you know, for a week or so. And just to to have the medicine of someone sitting with you and leaning in and listening and asking, like, how are you? How can I help you? And then giving you a free bag of remedies it was just like such potent medicine. It was such a good feeling in it. Like, uh, like it, it lights me up to, to have been able to do that for the community because it's something that everyone should be able to access. And um, in this time of turmoil and disaster to just come in and say, we're here to support you and we're here to meet your needs and how can we help? was a really beautiful thing um and there was so much stuff happening at that time at that point that's when everyone was getting gut bugs from the water you know from the muddy waters and it was like horrible gut bugs and mold exposure and sleeplessness and you know just really like low immunity and everyone was getting covered because everyone was around each other and you know it was just a wild time and having having the Community hub care running. We were roaming to all these different areas of the Northern Rivers, and we would just like pop up, and we pop up at the query Mail Hub in Lismore. We'd go to the evacuation centres. We're up in Wollumbah. Like it was a really, it, in those early days, it just felt like so necessary and so important, and it still does, and it's still going, which is amazing. We're five months deep, and now we're in recovery zone. So we do pretty much a weekly clinic, and yeah, we're still there to be of service and it's still so needed, which is amazing. And we have a headquarters and we have all these incredible donated remedies and these beautiful team. And it's just been an incredible thing. Yeah. Mm.
0: I, it like, like seeing you talk about it lights me up because I can see Mm. how passionate you are about this. And it gives me chills as you were speaking about it, because I know I remember that, like, that idea that you had and to see it executed yeah. and actually get the plants to the people was just, yeah. you know, so beautiful. Yeah. And also something that, yeah. you know, in a natural disaster and in crisis and in certain situations like that, you know, I think there's, again, like you mentioned, these different stages of healing yeah. and plants and, you know, flower and essences and, you know, all these different natural remedies, I think work on a totally different level. And, you know, that, that stuff doesn't leave right away. It really takes so many layers to help deal with Mm. the trauma and the healing of what arose in the situation. Um, And I love as well, like, I guess for you, I just want to kind of personalize it as well because, you know, everyone is so different, but what Mm. are specific herbs that you are loving or different remedies that I guess you are really finding a lot of joy in and comfort in Mm. as a, you navigate this transition in your personal life. And then I guess like coming out of that, traumatic experience from the northern rivers and the floods and everything
1: yeah it's a good question I mean I think my honestly like my sense of self-care and and gentleness with self I mean it as in that equaling self-care just like fully went out the window for so many months because I kind of Mm -hmm. went into my own survival mode and like absolutely prioritized community herbal care um (laughs) to get all those remedies out but and to get that project like going it was a lot and it took a lot of me but um and it was like i what i think i mean i i you know i witnessed the water rise like in front of our little barn house like i'm you know like i've never seen anything like that it was totally terrifying and it happened twice you know and but we were up high enough but we were you know it was the feeling of like well this is coming in on us but not in a way that of course somebody who experienced flooding in their house did but just visually it was really traumatic and then seeing, you know, friends lose everything. And like, I think it was just such a trying time, but also the piece for me was like sitting with people in those clinics and a lot of us clinicians, like we experience vicarious traumatization because we're listening to so much trauma and we're listening to, you know, pain and it's painful sometimes to listen. And you need to listen to that self piece of like, is this too much? Can I handle this? do I have somewhere I can debrief? Do I feel safe in this? You know? So there was a lot of like, for me, it was like a rocky time of of just holding a lot and then processing a lot, not really having actually not even really having time to process, to be honest. Um, So my self-care went really out the window and I can just feel it returning now. So, you know, obviously there were herbs that I lean on. And I mean, I think like, I wouldn't go anywhere without a bottle of like rescue remedy for, you know, that's just for me when I was feeling, cause I definitely had a lot of wobbly months in between all of these times, you know, of, of change and just really having that, that, that there would always make me feel even just more calm within myself, a lot of connecting to breath and grounding in with nature. Like those are the practices that I've leaned on a lot to stabilize my nervous system. And then with herbs, like, a herb that I always work quite closely with is Withania, which is Ashwagandha. And it's a it's been a herb that's been really profound for me in times where I feel way more burnt out and stretched. And it's probably the herb you'll hear me talk most about when people ask me this type of question of like, what is one of your favorite herbs? I think it's just been the most profound healer for me. Yeah, and I I mean, yeah, it's one that I work with a lot. Um, but I, You know, it's really interesting. What I've been, I, I, I kind of forget often that, I know it sounds funny, I know, of course it's a herb, but I sort of sometimes don't think about it in that way. But like what I've actually been doing quite for so many months is uh, doing like a deep dandelion chai every morning. Like I've been really leaning into like roots and boiling rooty things that I'm drinking. And I think that that's also just a subconscious pull to plants that I'm far more energetically grounding And nurturing, like the root system of a plant, those deeper, rooty, hardy plants that can teach us um, also about strength and resilience and the the, the nourishment that comes from the root system. And I've been actually drinking a lot of like rooty plants and dandies and things like that for months now. And I can see that that's, I wasn't really thinking about that actually until you asked me that question, but it's like something that I've been doing subconsciously to ground myself as well, Mm. um, which has been really helping yeah but I mean I have so many favorites it's just like different seasons for different things you know different plants come into my field at different times and I always look to what's growing in in your environment as a a message as to what you need and it's funny because we came onto this land and I was like well it's deep winter here there's really not going to be you know much growing um that because everything's very low like the grass is very low you know as in there's not, I can't even sort of see like many weedy things on the grass growing or, and I walk over to the corner of the acreage and I'm like, oh, like is that you? Is that you friend? And it's like the wildest patch of nettle growing. Wow. And mm. I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, mm. oh, nettle, my friend nettle. I love nettle. It's a plant that I work with and I work with a lot. And also when I was going through deep burnout, nettle and oat straw, infusions like overnight infusions were were a really potent part of my recovery and it was a ritual that i would you know pour the herbs uh, out at night with the water and let it sit strain it out in the morning warm it ever so slightly on the stovetop and sip those you know throughout the kind of morning in the day and just so to see my friend nettle again at a time where i'm way more tired i'm processing for sure I'm processing a lot of that vicarious traumatization and re-stabilizing my nervous system. And there's my friend, you know, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah.
0: Mm, I do. I love that as well. That combination of old straw and nettle and the infusion, mm. the overnight infusion. I, I come back to that a lot. I used to do that daily, but, um, and another thing you mentioned as well, the dandy, like, yes, that is totally. And even in the midst of winter, I feel like that in itself is like a really great ally for, you know, going within and grounding. And actually it's funny, Mm. Lucette just sent me a little, I think it was like a little video on Instagram, but it was, um, a recipe for dandelion blossoms infused in honey mm. um because so here nice. on the yes. other side of you know the seasons we're in summer and so all in the summer, mimosa blossoms yes. are blooming stunning. so beautiful stunning. and so I've been it's infusing so that in honey and mm. making like a little sort of um sweet infused honey but um I oh, you know I'd be so, so lush curious Mm. yeah yeah i'd be so curious about roots and infusing that in honeys as well
1: Mm, i feel i mean roots take they need a lot they they really sort of need the heat to extract a lot of medicinal Mm -hmm. elements so Mm -hmm. there's that's why roots are a little bit more kin to being boiled like in a decoction sort of situation where you're doing that long boil for sort of 20 plus minutes to really kind of awaken the roots and um bring it encourage like to bring out those medicinal um Mm. constituents and powers so they don't do as well like in a honey kind of setting like a flower wood or a -hmm. a leaf even like a flowering top but they sort of love to yeah love to be boiled (laughs) to get that kind of awakening Mm. out of the root again Um, but the dandy chai for me, it's like a, we wake up every morning, boil it, you know, the chai, I've got like a chai mix I make, boil it for sort of 10 minutes and a little bit of water. And then like we add our plant milk on top and just infuse that. And it's just the nicest, cozy drink, especially in winter. But also saying that if you do that and you allow that milky, you know, milky tonic to cool and then you pop it over ice, oh, a dandy chai is like the best thing ever with a little drizzle of honey. Oh love it it's so yeah. good
0: and you know what's crazy is it's so hard to find a really good dandy chai over oh my here gosh. it's impossible I know
1: <laughs> and I, know, like, I remember
0: yeah I remember when the yeah. turmeric you know or the golden milk that's what it's called the golden milks which is yeah. the turmeric latte right. type of latte. vibe Yes. Yeah. Um. I remember it was non-existent here in California, specifically, and then now everywhere you go, there's golden milks. Um. But yeah. I, you know, I the dandy like it's not here. I'm, and that's one thing I'm really missing is the dandy
1: dandy dandy latte. I find it fascinating. I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, there's this. The, I mean, Australia's. I think always be had these kind of. Always been ahead in these sort of health trends in many ways. On, I know that's not a trend to drink dandy, but you know the the things that be like the turmeric latte becomes a trend, right? But I think in ways Australia has this like a little aheadness in some ways. I mean, because I, I spent a lot of time in the states, and I'm always like baffled at certain things I can't find. But then on the other side of that, there's there's this like incredible amount of choice that you'll never get here. In other ways, you know. But I'm always like I'm always outraged that nobody has a good chai that is like a brewed chai over there. (laughs) Like I'm like, why, why don't we have a brewed chai, not a syrup with sugar in it? Um, That's not chai, you know? And um, I mean, obviously you can make a syrup reduction, but you know what I'm saying? That's not like a classic kind of chai and then dandelion. But I think it's just about making your own. You just got to, you know, get the elements, like you get the dandy root, uh, the chunky roots and you, then you get, you know, your cardamom and your star anise and, you know, your ginger and your black pepper, and you just have to blend yourself, which is a little harder, but it's really easy to do.
0: Yeah. It's always, and I think we're so lucky to have that, you know, the milk that's brewed from the house and then also the loose leaf teas and, and everything. Um, And, you know, it is, it's, we're so lucky. And I feel like you can relate with, relate to this as well of, you know, spending time in the States and, and then over there, I remember when I first moved to Australia, I was like, where are my plants? You know, where are all my natural, yeah. or, sorry, my familiar faces. And, and, you know, I remember that one time that we, you messaged me and you're just like, there's a whole bunch of goldenrod, we need to go harvest. And I, that plant for me is like the essence of California, you know, goldenrod, I feel like, or the States in general is, is everywhere and the smell and um, the color. And, and so it felt so felt, I'm wondering, yeah, what your experience like with, um, I guess, native plants in the sense of like, do you work with a lot of native plants in your practice mm. and in your daily life as opposed to you know the more classical I guess constitutional herbs
1: yeah I mean it's a good question and it's one question that people ask me a lot and I always come up with the same answer and I want you know I think the answer is going to change at some point when I do have the opportunity to uh or I seek out more more connection and communion with a native Australian plants but no, I really don't. It's a funny, it's a funny, it's a conundrum of being a herbalist, uh, a, 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 a sort of classically European-trained herbalist in Australia. It's a really interesting conundrum um, that I always, particularly me and and one of my dear friends, Sarah Mann, who I've mentioned before, who's really involved with community herbal care and a really epic herbalist. Um, she and I often talk about this conundrum, you know, because, and my teacher, Jackie Bushell, like, where you are we always talk about you know bioregional herbalism like the herbs around you and learning you know the herbs around you because a lot of those sort of eastern european plants also those pan sort of pacific asian plants and north american plants actually do grow here in australia like a lot of them do so you do you are working with plants in your environment, right? They're they're you know like for instance like up north it's like an incredible amount of Centella asiatica, like gotu It's it's everywhere, and that's a really classic sort of pan Asian, um, you know, uh, humid like loves humid environments, grows in different places around the world in humid environments. But there's also like Plantagos, Plantago lanceolata, and there's also um, like goldenrod, and you know, there's roses, like rose hips, and there's there's elder everywhere up there, and rosemary, and lavender, and like you know, you obviously there's all these plants around you that you could access that might be cultivated or grown wild. But in terms of indigenous plants to Australia and indigenous medicine, I have to say when we were studying, there was absolutely no plants taught that were indigenous to Australia because a lot of that knowledge has been held dear and kept safe in Indigenous community. Absolutely understandable, it's their medicine. And it hasn't been taught in a mainstream herbalism way as an Australian herbalist. It's something that I do know some herbalists who work closely with Indigenous medicine, but they've done a lot of training in community with Indigenous teachers or they've learnt on the land in community, and it's been something that has been passed to them in a sort of very sort of sacred, quiet way. And um, I have a lot of respect for that and a lot of reverence for the fact that just because I was born here, it doesn't mean that I have some instant, like, access or instant, you know, right to claim that as the system of, of medicine that's my, mine or that I use you know what I mean I just um I think at some point I hope to meet a teacher and to be in community that would be open to sharing with me in that way um but I just have a lot of respect and and reverence for for that and for that if that's meant to open up for me at some time as a herbalist and as a person who's grown up on this land, it will, Um, but yeah, I don't know. I really, I'm not fluent in those plants. I'm fluent in the, you know, Eastern Euro, North American plants that are really, I think the most, and that's my lineage too. I mean, um, not North American, but um, Mm -hmm. my background, like both of my parents, it's sort of UK, Europe, Scotland, Russia, Actually, my grandma was, she was Palestinian, question mark. We're not sure if she was Palestinian or Lebanese. But, you know, there was was this melting pot of my lineage is, Mm. is more, you know, European in nature. And I feel really at home with those plants. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing, being a herbalist in Australia. It is an interesting piece. I think other herbalists would answer that really differently. But that's been my experience of it yeah Mm. yeah
0: totally and I feel like it is it is this really sort of uncharted territory in the sense of for many um you know classical European sort of structure in the sense of what you learn and in the way Mm. that you study and and how that plays out it's you know I think it it like when you think back in the day of like folklore and and you know the grandmothers would pass the knowledge and wisdom down to their grandchildren and it would just sort of unfold in this very natural evolving way and Mm. i feel like i can't speak for them but with the indigenous and the communities in that sense it is that aspect of kind of like firsthand knowledge um so yeah i'd be curious as to Mm. what how that weaves into modern um you know, the modern world of herbalism. And I guess one question I do have for you, because I do have a lot of friends who either A, are currently studying or B, are really looking to go down that avenue of whether it's herbalism or in some shape or form of of that. Um, Because I remember you had such a beautiful, I really loved your part of your story of, you know, you had a mentor that you really, um, I think it was that elder woman in Clunes if I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear, you know, your, just what you would tell someone who either reaches out to you personally about, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the stages of following that vision of either becoming an herbalist and, and what are some different routes that one can learn more about herbal wisdom?
1: yeah I mean yeah uh, so much to it I I mean I offer like one-to-one mentoring and then I'm about to launch the mentoring programs I think I'm hoping <laughs> it's been such a full-time so I'm hoping by end of year or early next year and to, to be able to like because inf- I'm going to answer this in like this really short way right but it's like mm. there's so much to it so that's why I'm offering those things because there's mm-hmm. so many people that approach me and go like how do I do this and what course and how to, like, what are my options? And it's, and, and there's other people that are like, I'm curious about the plant path, but I don't even, I'm not even sure if I want to study it. So I've sort of mm-hmm. been working on these two different avenues of mentoring programs of people who are studying or people who are sort of curious to get onto the plant path and, and, and people who are graduated as well. So it's kind of, um, I think that's a really big piece because I think what is happening and what has happened is we are really lacking those mentors and lacking those elders and lacking the people to to turn to and go is this a good idea what do you think about this what was your experience I mean because community is fragmented and it's a really different different experience of community these days and we're not you know we're not in our sort of traditional village setting where where we're we're having to learn in really different ways and um, herbalism like you said was very much like handed down knowledge between families and between villages and between sort of communities and and how to keep that spirit alive in this modern day world is is really interesting and um an interesting question and I'm super curious about it and it's something that you know drives like a lot of what I do as well and how I connect with people and show up and for me like the ladies and clunes oh they're beautiful but the, I really just connected with them very briefly around um the the books uh that particularly the plants for the people because I was like oh I need to I really need to photograph like these plants and I'm not growing them right now and put a call out like who do you know everyone and and actually one of our friends Nicole was like these two beautiful women are, are really epic herbalists and they've got great gardens and inclines and I contacted them and they welcomed me into their gardens and they pulled up their garlic and they pulled up their fresh ginger and whatever else they were growing that was photographed in the book and it was a really beautiful thing and shared cups of teas with them many times and They learnt, um, uh, I'm not sure if both of them, I think maybe both of them learnt through Dorothy Hall, who is a very well-known Australian herbalist. So their lineage, who's passed now, but their lineage was uh, Dorothy Hall lineage. And they were talking to me about, and she's a bit of a sort of icon in the Australian herbalism field. And they were talking to me about some of the lessons that they'd learnt from Dorothy Hall. And that was really sweet too, because that's way, you know, I'm way... years beyond that like many you know you know many some decades beyond when Dorothy was teaching um, so it was really cool to like listen to some of their wisdoms and that's though all those stories impact my sense of um like belonging as a herbalist and my sense of community um, by hearing those stories and experiencing different a- types of herbalisms, herbalists sorry and different sort of ways that they learn and and different generations of herbalism and the way that a herbalist would practice maybe a, a 70 year old herbalist would practice quite different to you know say a 25 year old herbalist because of the way that they've learned I'm just fascinated by all of that and that's something I would actually love to lean more into maybe at some point with a project and listen and learn more I'm really passionate about connecting in that way and um. My own mentors and teachers, I definitely, Jackie Bushel has been really profound for me. She's a beautiful Australian herbalist and, and flower essence wizard and storyteller. She's doing a lot more storytelling of the land. And oh my gosh, you guys, if you get a chance to like find her or listen to her, she's on, I'm releasing a podcast soon, hallelujah soon. Um, and she's on that episode, I know, amazing, um, finally. And I've been trying to do that for quite some time. She's on the, at one of our episodes and, oh, God, she's just like magic. And I recently went to one of her um, – I, I spoke at the National Habilis uh, Symposium and as one of the keynote speakers and she was there too. And I sat down and listened to her talk and I was just in tears. I was just like goosebumps all over my body, like the power of her storytelling and the way that she just – yeah, like the love language of nature that just like pours through her is exquisite. And I'm so inspired by her. Uh, she's a dear friend and and she's been one of my teachers since I was 18. But a lot of my path has been really self-taught and full of self-discovery, to be honest. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I've, I haven't been, I, I haven't like spent years studying under one person in this way. It's been a lot of, yeah, self discovery and self taught wisdoms and um, experiential, like being in nature, like really just being with the plants and and listening and and feeling and sensing and and allowing the time to unfold to create those relationships with the plants. Like that's that's what has taught me has been my greatest teacher. Um, is just allowing the time and space to be with them. Um, That was a tangent of your question. So I'm coming back to you asking like, where do people begin? Um, But I answered that in that way, because I think a lot of people think like I studied in this setting that I was under a mentor for X amount of years. Then I came out and I was a herbalist and it's like, well, no, it's been this like really kind of yes, I did my four years of my bachelor and that was intense. And yes, I had different influences but a lot of this has just been my own, like paving my own path, like a very self paved path of, you know, discovery and connection. And um, that's what I encourage people to do. And that's where you bring your own unique goals and you don't follow, you don't necessarily have to follow this framework. You've got your framework, your, you know, your degree or your qualifications, but it is actually about paving your own path once you come out. I mean, it's a strange thing because you get out and you're like, oh my God, how do I do this? What? I'm allowed to work with people (laughs) like this, you know, it's like I can actually, this is my job now. It's actually a very daunting thing. And I get that. And that's why it's important, I think, to do mentorships and learn from people you admire or you expand you. And it's important to get that extra knowledge because really those four years you learn so much, but you come out and you're going to keep learning. Like I'm still learning, you know, there's, there's no end to the learning and i think it's naive to think that yeah we we become these um you know like if there's an end point you know to the learning it's there's no end point it's just a constant evolution and unfolding and um there's so many ways to go about training. It really just depends. And I say this when I'm mentoring, it depends what you want to do with it. Do you want to be a practitioner and work one-to-one with people? Do you want to make remedies? Do you want to write? Do you want to, you know, share in different ways? It it just depends when back in the day, like even when I studied, it was like, you know, the only way forward really was to become a practitioner or go into research. There wasn't really um, much else and there wasn't really a wellness kind of world or you know that kind of culture with Instagram and social media and it was different so there's just more options now so it depends what you want to do as to where you're going to go and with the training and how you're going to pursue it did mm-hmm. I did, did that sort of did I get there with the answer
0: oh girl <laughs> you, you got asked?
1: there you got there okay.
0: and I love how you really yeah. like the map was there and the territory is so different you know, and I think for everyone, the territory is that personal landscape of how you go about life and your own experiences and what life throws at you and then how you apply that to the wisdom and the plants. And yeah, it's a, it's a very personalized journey. And I feel like it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like today, we dove into I have all these little pinpoints but I feel like we dove into so much already and all these different mm, avenues yeah. I wanted to go way deep into the interior design and the you know all the things that you're decorating <laughs> but I feel like we'll have we'll have more we'll have more and oh I just goodness you mean a, about the house like about the house design
1: <laughs> I love that um oh my god okay yeah. I'm like, now I want to hear all your questions, but that sounds really <laughs> interesting because um, I love talking about making things pretty. Um, but I guess also just like back to the, just that last point about like bringing you your unique gold. I think
0: mm.
1: that's, I think when, whatever we're doing, whether we're a herbalist or we're an interior designer, like whatever it is, right. Like bringing and trusting that you have unique gold and that you have all these other skills and, and, parts of your personality and being that it can come to the job, whatever it is. Yeah. That's what that's what makes you shine in whatever you're doing. And I and I I really believe that because I know for me, I've been in clinical practice forever and I love clinical practice, but it feeds one part of me. And there's all these other parts of me that need to be fed. And that's why I write books and shoot books and create books. And that's why I'm going to be doing the next things that I'm going to be doing because I have to feed these other parts of myself and I want those parts to like really just like come on board and shine and that's what you know what I'm saying like that bringing all those parts and a lot of people when I'm mentoring that's what my my job I see my job as is like really lighting up and illuminating what I see in those people as like hey what about this skill set that you've got and me bringing Mm. on that on board and like that's what is the gold in in how we can do our jobs and show up and be of service Is like is allowing ourselves to be seen in that and be felt in that as well
0: Mm. yeah I love that and it's so beautiful when you can really see something in someone that they don't necessarily see themselves and that that's what yeah is so beautiful is there's so many different aspects in the you know that I don't think there Mm. is just that one thing there's all these avenues that build and shape the Mm. work that you do in the world yeah
1: I'm so excited about yeah
0: about your upcoming mentorship that'll be such an amazing outlet for those looking to dive into, you know, deeper practices and ways that they can learn themselves mm. and with a community and with one-on-one mentorship, amazing.
1: Yeah, it's real I mean gosh, I've been wanting to do it forever and they've been in the works for like years and I think every time I take on a new book I'm like I'll be able to do that at the same time and I can't it's, it's, a, it's just it's really deep like I really think of mentoring in this really it's you know to to, to say you're someone's mentor there's a lot to that and yeah. um, so I've just been really honoring the process and taking my time with it and yeah. It's going to be beautiful though. And I love, I do one one mentoring and I just, I've closed my book for a while, but um, I do love doing those sessions. It's just a really special thing to help people guide them and give them some advice. And, you know, having lived through all these um, incarnations already of my kind of career, like owning a big multimodality clinic and heading up a big clinic in Sydney and then being, you know, online and writing the books and like all the different things that I've done. It's like, it's a really... It's like paying it forward, honey. I mean, why why are we mm. doing the things we're doing unless we're paying it forward and 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 mm. being and giving back to community? And like for me, there's no point. Like I'm really, I just I want to I want to give back. I'm I'm doing it all, yeah. I'm doing it all to ultimately hand over in some way to share to, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, to to cultivate a deeper sense of community. It's really important to me in in everything that I do.
0: Mm. So everyone watch this space. <laughs>
1: yeah. <I'm- laughs> yeah.
0: Excited! Lots of things on the horizon, and Aaron, today was so beautiful. I miss you so much, and this just warmed my heart on all levels. Being able to just watch (laughs) you light up in ways that I know that you are passionate about, and for anyone listening, I'm going to add all of Aaron's details in the show notes so you can learn more and follow
1: along on the upcoming endeavors. And so, thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Aaron. Oh, thanks for having me, honey. So nice to hang with you. Such a sweet talk. Likewise.
0: Thank you for listening to today's conversation. If you have admired and found insight in any territory we covered, please share with someone you admire or leave us a review. Thank you again. And your support is so appreciated. See you next week.